I think a lot of wealth creators worry about the wealth corrupting their children, right? Destroying their will and their motivation to contribute anything in life. And that's one of the reasons why they stay silent. But what I'd say to clients today is, Instead, you can have a roadmap to help your children individuate purposefully in the midst of the wealth. Like you can support them in becoming capable, independent, contributing people, not by keeping them in the dark, but by giving clarity and just speaking about the wealth in a purposeful, age-appropriate way. Welcome to The Road to Why by the Northern Trust Institute the show where business owners and entrepreneurs discuss their life's work and explore the intersection of business, family, wealth, and legacy. I'm your host, Eric Chapea, Director of Business Services at Northern Trust. Many of the guests we have featured on The Road to Why have discussed this idea of cultivating the entrepreneurial spirit of the next generation, empowering the next generation to chart their own path in life and become hardworking, responsible, and creative stewards of the wealth they will inherit and the businesses they will run. So it's high time that we are joined by my guest today, Nikkei Anani. Nikkei is the director of NextGen Advisory at Northern Trust. In her role, she helps prepare next-generation family members for the complexities of wealth ownership. Nikkei is great at her job because she has lived the story herself. Prior to joining Northern Trust, Nikkei created and ran the family office of her own family to oversee her entrepreneurial father's business investments in Nigeria. So let's dive right into Nikkei's story from the beginning. Yeah, I grew up in Lagos in Nigeria. I'm the oldest of three. I've got two younger brothers. My dad was an entrepreneur. Um, My mom was a lecturer. And I just remember growing up, there was a lot of emphasis on academic success and hard work. And mum being a lecturer, she would come home with extra homework, which I hated. But it really shaped me into who I am today. And I remember my dad promising us the world as kids if we did well in school. Like, if you get good grades, you can go on vacation to the UK for six weeks. And and we tended to do that every couple of years. And We had great memories. I also remember a lot of emphasis on not just like our immediate family, but like the extended family. I spent a lot of time with my paternal grandparents, my cousins, my siblings, just making loads of great memories. Then at the age of nine, my parents made a decision to relocate us kids to the UK in search of a better life for our education and things like that. And dad stayed back to build the business. And I think that's probably the most formative experience in my childhood because it it built my muscle for adaptability from a very young age, right? The world outside my home was completely different from the world inside my home. I learned how to navigate a new country, um, a new school, a new culture, make new friends. And as you can imagine, at the age of nine, that wasn't without challenges. You know, it's hard to even think back to what our memories are as a nine-year-old, but obviously that was a formative experience. And so I'm sure you have some. What did you think of leaving your hometown in Nigeria and moving to the UK? And what was your understanding of the reason for that? But then also this idea that your dad was staying behind to build something. And I'm, I'm assuming 
you had a sense that he was an entrepreneur, he was building a business, but probably at the age of nine, the four corners of that was a little unclear, maybe. At the time, I just remember my parents explaining um, that Nigeria wasn't as safe as it used to be. And for our quality of life and for our education, it was best that we moved to the UK. And there was a lot of emphasis on not everyone has this opportunity and you all do. Initially, the plan was for my dad to move over and to set up a business in the UK, but the opportunities weren't as you know prevalent as they were in Nigeria. And it was very much, this is like the sacrifice that dad has to make to build out the business. He has to be on the ground in Lagos more often than in the UK. And he would come over pretty frequently, like every month he was over for a week, right? But it did, it was still a huge disruption so to speak to what was our normalcy and it forced all of us as a family to adapt including my mom now as a parent I have two young kids I can't even imagine um, moving internationally without your spouse Um, it was a huge sacrifice like in terms of now having a long distance marriage and then time in the UK I think from the age of nine to maybe after college can you talk to us a little bit about that experience before you moved back to Nigeria? The first couple of years were probably the hardest and then you adapt your child, right? You just learn the nuances of the culture and whatnot. And so I um, did really well in high school. I was very academic. I studied economics at University College London. And because the emphasis from a very young age was very much on like academic success career success, I chose to work in international tax planning. And, you know, it was very much, I was driven by extrinsic achievements from a very young age. And for the first time, I hit a wall. And it became so apparent to me that the pursuit of extrinsic achievements alone, it would not be lasting. It felt really unfulfilling. And for the first time, I had to start looking inwardly, like what really gives me a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, and what makes me come alive? And I realized it it wasn't tax. And so by this point, my dad had been building not just the family business, he started investing in other projects um, in different industries. And he'd started opening up a little bit at this point. So I knew that he wasn't just your average Joe Bloggs. But I didn't know like the full extent. But I remember just like having a conversation with him and saying, I just feel stuck here. Like I can I can beast it out and just stay, but on the inside I will slowly die. And he then said, Why not just take some time off work and just come to Lagos? Maybe you're just bored. Come to Lagos and um follow me around. And you're you're in your twenties at this point, or how old are you? I'm 24 at this point. I'm 24, just three years into my career at this point. And that was it. And so I put in a request for extended leave, three months to begin with, extended that to a year later on. And my hypothesis was it was a poor industry fit, right? And perhaps getting exposure to different industries would light me up and soon after I got to Lagos I was like hmm this is fun this is great I I want to stay here it wasn't long before Nikkei went from following her dad around to actually working with him in the business 
And at the same time, she began to learn the true scope of the business enterprise that her father had been building over the years. I asked Nikkei, how did she eventually transition to working in her father's business? So, memories from Lagos when I was young, our lives seemed quite normal, right? And then moving to the UK, like kind of, I likened our position to like the immigrant's dream. I didn't know the extent of the family's success and my dad's success. So I saw myself no differently than my friends whose parents had also immigrated. So coming back at the age of 24, um, I didn't come back with the mindset to find a path, a career path within my family's enterprise. I came back to gain exposure to my dad's network and to figure out my career path back in the UK. I'd actually put in an application for London Business School. But, you know, in shadowing him, I obviously started discerning that there was more that that met the eye, right? He'd made a number of investments that were in the public eye. And so soon enough, I realized I loved what he was doing. And I I saw that we made a really good team because he was super entrepreneurial, could spot opportunities. But I was like, you know, the, the clerk, right? The accountant. And he's like looking at me like, you're so annoying. Like, where's the opportunity? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, we need more structure and systems. And he's just like, this is, this is like what I hate to do. And that was really the origins of it all. And he was like, just do whatever you, you want to do as long as I don't have to do it. And so he really gave me a lot of autonomy. And so... I just saw it as a a great opportunity and it actually, I enjoyed the work that I was doing. So obviously during that time, he opened up the kimono and he discloses, you know, in running the family office um, and there's a lot more transparency at that point. But yeah, that was the kind of path to me coming into the business, so to speak. And how did that impact your relationship with your siblings. How did your role coming back to Nigeria now being involved in the family business and essentially running the family office with a lot more transparency, how did your siblings perceive that or or how did you work with them around that new role? It didn't have a negative impact on our relationship. Frankly, I was a bridge, so to speak, between the family enterprise and all the, everything that was going on, dad and the family. It meant that questions that they would ask him, I could answer. Now we had formal reporting. Now we had an actual strategic plan. Now we had third-party advisors. And and now we started the process of putting together governance so we could formalize how our voices would be heard, formalize how we would make collective decisions, and so on and so forth. I mean, I'm the oldest, so I was 24 when I first moved back. My my younger brothers were 21 and 19, so they were just like coming out of college, right? And launching into their careers as well. And um, incidentally, they're also in like the finance investment allied space. So the three of us had a natural fluency for investment acumen. Um, We had a passion for the space. And so it never had a negative impact on our relationship. Frankly, it really created an opportunity for like our shared passion. I think the person that would probably complain the most would be mom because she's just like, she's not into investments or business. And a lot of like dinners, it's just like 
oh, this deal, the ROI was this, this, this just come through. Dad, did you see that email? She's just sitting there like, these people, what are they on about? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, no, it, I think creating the structure and having the transparency and having the governance did great things for us as a family. This is such an interesting journey of your own in life, you know, moving away to the UK, building your own educational background, coming back and helping to run the family business. But I understand that not unlike other family businesses, this journey was not without its challenges. And so maybe if you could share some of those, I also think you have such a unique perspective because you've been part of a family business. You went out on your own and became an entrepreneur advising business owners. You are now part of Northern where your role is to advise um, members of the next generation. From that perspective, what were some of the challenges in your own journey and how are those maybe similar to themes or challenges that you see among other business owning families? Yeah, the challenges. Oh, there are a lot. Um, especially when I first moved back and I came into the knowledge of the, you know, full extent of his success. I firstly felt eclipsed by my dad's success and I struggle to trust people. It's a very close-knit community in, in Nigeria, um, particularly like in the business world. Like we're all three, four degrees of separation from each other. And it just felt like I was in a fishbowl where everyone was like looking at me like, oh, she's so-and-so's daughter and his net worth is this. And I was paranoid about relationships, friends, romantic partners and things. And I also felt at the age of 24, as a young female, leading the family office, being a CEO of one of the businesses, that employees, business partners and associates projected a sense of entitlement onto me that devalued my contributions, frankly, and a lot of my hard work. And I worked, I busted my backside in a way that my peers didn't have to. The position that I was occupying meant that I had a lot more responsibility that was heavy, right? There was pressure, um, internal pressure, not to screw everything up and to prove to my parents and my family that I'm capable. So that it was difficult to navigate all that. There were also other challenges like with respect to collaborating with my dad and the wider family and the silence around the wealth, etc. Nikkei's experience, both the opportunities and the challenges, is not uncommon among the next generation of multi-generational business-owning families. And I realize hindsight is 2020, but I was curious, if Nikkei could go back in time to when she started working for her father, what would she have done differently and what would she have had her father do differently? I think, I'll start with self. I would have done a lot more listening and less talking. <laughs> I would have asked a lot more questions to really uncover my dad's values and his motivations and his psychology, frankly. I would have inquired into his upbringing and his money storing. I mean, today, when I'm now having conversations with my dad, I 
my approach is so different from how it was at the age of 24. I I kind of have an insight into the kind of things he he's looking for, he's scared of, he's aspiring towards, and I'm able to kind of tailor my communication accordingly. And it just, it's a lot more seamless now than when I was at the age of 24. And for dad, you know, we talk a lot about preparing the next generation for the business but we don't talk enough about preparing the business for the next generation or preparing the wealth creators for the next generation frankly um i know my entry wasn't planned but i do wish there was more thought around a number of things um prior to my entry like a formal induction for instance or clarity on a compensation plan or thoughts on my career development or having policies on conflict resolution because conflict is inevitable in families particularly when you start working together it makes it even more interesting so it, those are the two things that i would say in terms of for me and for for my dad i really love what you said about it's important to prepare the next generation for the business but it's also just as important maybe even more important to prepare the wealth creator the business owner for that transition as well. And so have you seen anything work really well with the families that you've worked with in terms of this transition, you know, from one generation to the next responsibility over the family's wealth and or the family's business? Starting early, I think is so key. What I've seen with families that successfully transition is they start to integrate and educate the next generation from an early age because the preparation isn't just for the moment that they will be past the baton so to speak even as an owner of a family business it's not an owner of shares in apple it's not passive ownership it's very active <laughs> ownership even with a 9 to 5 so there's a lot of work and i think starting from an early age because the preparation is financial literacy it's corporate governance it's family governance is business structuring it's understanding of the family's values so that's what i'd say is folks that i see do this well they start from an early age and then they give that runway to the rising generation to figure out what does this all mean for me what role do i want to play in this where are my strengths do i want to be you know in the battlefield or do I want to be on the sidelines do I have to do this in the way I've seen dad or mom do this or is there a way I can do this differently um giving them that runway gives them time to individuate and figure out how they can align with the existing enterprise it's an ongoing conversation expectations on the side of the now gen expectations on the side of the next gen and oftentimes these expectations go on communicated and it's the unmet unexpressed expectations that i've seen that often lead to just the conflicts that just seems insurmountable and this kind of chronic conflict in families that can be so destructive but just having those conversations around expectations on each side on each side of the table i think is just so important Yeah, I love the idea of starting early and making sure that expectations are laid out on the table. I find that to your point, so much family conflict is engendered through lack of communication and misperceptions 
and false assumptions that never are voiced and therefore almost grow in this, I like to call it the cave of unreported issues or the cave of resentment. And so with that in mind, why do you think in the case of not just your father, but other wealth creators, there's so much maybe reluctance or procrastination around setting up this type of structure or having these types of conversations early on about the family's wealth, responsibility for the family business early on with the next generation, with their, with their children? It's so common. I think a lot of wealth creators worry about the wealth corrupting their children, right? Destroying their will and their motivation to contribute anything in life. And that's one of the reasons why they stay silent. And I remember at the age of 24 when I was back in Lagos and I actually confronted both my parents. I'm like, this is weird. This was all here and you never said a thing. (laughs) And they were like, we didn't want you to be distracted. We didn't want you to be demotivated or to be entitled. And my dad also said, we didn't want the business to become a burden on you. We wanted you to flourish as individuals. But in the same breath, like you said, there's this unspoken expectation, but we also want you to contribute, right? So that's one of the reasons I found is this kind of the fear of the corrupting um, of the wealth. And I, I really wish my parents hadn't stayed silent, but instead what I'd say to clients today is, instead you can have a roadmap to help your children individuate purposefully in the midst of the wealth. Like you can support them in becoming capable, independent, contributing people, um, not by keeping them in the dark, but by giving clarity and just speaking about the wealth in a purposeful, age-appropriate way. And on the topic of the next generation and getting them involved, I know that's been a big part of your role at Northern as the head of our next-gen practice. You also make a distinction. I know we've, I've heard you speak a number of times between the next-gen and the rising-gen. And if you could maybe explain a little bit what that's all about. It's from a great book to add to your reading list, The Myth of a Silver Spoon by Kristen Keffler. She talks about the difference between next, where we're all next in some capacity, right? It's chronological. It's in reference to whoever created the wealth um, in the family. But rising is psychological. Um, Rising is a choice. It's really about your approach to life, challenges and opportunities. Rising Gen will embrace a growth mindset, um, seek continuous learning and possibility. Um, There's like this grit, a willingness to persevere, to find their own voice and, and to forge their own path. And so... It's, it's like I said, it's, it's by design and not by default. And I see my role as really helping folks to, to go on a progressive journey of rising. And frankly, I say this a lot to wealth creators, this fear of the wealth corrupting them. If you give fear and continue to feed your fear, it will control you and you're, you're magnifying it way more than it really needs to be. Because frankly, I'm yet to meet this spoiled rich kid, <laughs> this entitled brat, right? 
I meet so many rising generations that are contributing meaningfully, whether it's to their existing family enterprise or innovating in philanthropy and impact or, you know, doing well in their careers and, and, and um, really are contributing in a meaningful way. And on that note, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the importance of the next generation finding peers to speak with about the challenges and some of the opportunities that they might be confronting. And I know we have social media and we have a lot of online opportunities to network, but I do think, and I'd love your input on the importance of this happening with what you might call almost curated groups of individuals who have these shared experiences. And I know that you're doing that here at Northern. If you could share maybe a little bit about what you've been working on. I will die on this hill. I think it's so important um, for next gens because it, it can be quite an isolating experience where they can be in a safe space to have candid conversations about the unique challenges that they face with people in similar shoes as them. In my personal journey, I'm a member of several peer groups myself and they have been pivotal to my personal growth and development. You know, in these spaces, I can share my struggles, my aspirations, uncertainties, and I don't feel like I'm crazy. I feel validated meeting folks that are like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dealing with just them. And, you know, the statistics suggest that majority of rising gens who will inherit don't feel ready for it. And it's 52%. And for the next generation, learning in community is their preferred mode of learning, having this sense of belonging, shared experiences. They want to openly exchange ideas, perspectives, and gain insights from their peers. And they just don't want theory. They want to know, like, what are you doing in practice, Eric? Like, what's working for you? What's not working? And they're keen to grow their network, to collaborate and to tap into collective knowledge because it really encourages accountability as they see the progress of their peers, right? Which is inspirational, not just in their personal lives, but also in their professional lives. And so here at Northern Trust, I'm super passionate about um, our peer groups. We've built up a national community of our rising gen clients where they learn, they meet and grow. And we do this virtually. Um, so we're able to bring together a very diverse community of folks nationally from different perspectives, different locales, from different family businesses. Our community is growing and we've gotten great feedback and great engagement so far. As Nikkei said, connection is so important for those of us who may be inheriting the responsibility of overseeing and growing what the older generation has built. Creating those connections and advising multi-generational families is no easy task. So I ask Nikkei the question I ask all of our guests. What is the why that keeps her motivated and working hard at what she does? I love helping rising gens find and fulfill their trapped potential. That's what wakes me up in the morning. And then for myself, I love like just being the best version of myself. Mastery ultimately is a big piece of that drives me. I want to see the best version of myself. I want to keep evolving and getting better, um, getting sharper. Um, yeah, that's what I say is my why. How does your dad like your new role? He loves it. Um, he's super supportive in as much as it was difficult for me to leave the family business. And obviously we miss 
working together. He's seeing me flourish and I'm able to bring a new perspective because I'm growing and I'm learning, right, with more data points now. So I'm able to bring insights and add even more value than I did when I was on the battlefield, so to speak. And especially with a global perspective, right, um, we as a family historically have been predominantly focused on Africa. And now it's like, hey, this is how folks are doing it here in the States. And these are the opportunities, these are the, the challenges, and this is what we should be thinking about. Well, I want to turn again personally to your family. And we always joke that, you know, we give a lot of advice about raising the next generation and none of us are, are perfect parents. <laughs> but I know that you have, with your husband, two little ones, six and eight. So you are in the thick of parenthood. And how do you take some of the lessons that you learned in your own personal experience, but also, of course, in the work you do with clients and apply them at home. Never as easy as it looks, but I'd love to hear some of the some of the advice that you might have. It really isn't easy. I try imperfectly, but I do try. We're very big on empowering our boys with financial literacy and to start to exercise the muscles to just talk about money. So we do so. We use Greenlight, which is an app to build their financial literacy. They're able to watch a whole bunch of videos that are kid appropriate. And so they, they come to me and they're like, this is not a want, this is a need. A credit card is this and a debit card is that. I'm like, interesting. So they're building their financial literacy, their investment acumen. And we have conversations around like budgeting, the importance of saving, investing, giving. My priorities, different from dad's priorities, based on our values, not interests, etc. And so we're able to get in dialogue around, you know, financial decision making in the home, like when we're in Target and they bring all these things to the, um, to the shopping cart. And I'm like, how much is in your green light spend account and they're like Ooh. and then they start thinking about trade-offs it's it's really interesting and we also have conversations around our values and our entrepreneurial ventures so my husband and I are very entrepreneurial so he runs a power and energy um, renewable company in Nigeria so he travels to Lagos frequently and of course Young boys obsessed with their daddy. They want daddy here. Why is it that daddy has to travel again and he's not around? And, you know, and so we have conversations about why we set that up, what our motives were, um, why the importance of job creation to us, adding value in Nigeria, the importance of supporting our community, the importance of sustainability. And it's interesting, kids are a lot sharper than we think they are. They're able to process and, you know, they'll bring their own perspectives as well. So those are the ways we try at this age, but I'm not perfect at this. There's only so many hours in a day. I completely appreciate it, um, but we do try. There are so many great insights from our conversation today, but here are a few to keep in mind from Nikkei's experience in her own family and working with the next generation of many other business-owning families around the world. Start early. Start to educate and integrate the next generation into the family's wealth and business investments from an early age, because preparation shouldn't begin at the moment that they will be passed the baton of responsibility. Give the next generation runway to figure things out and decide their own path. What does this all mean for me? What role do I want to play in this? Do I have to do this the way I have seen mom or dad do this? Or is there a way I can do this differently? 
And finally, communicate expectations. Have honest and frequent conversations about the family's wealth so that nothing remains hidden or misunderstood on either side of the table, the now gen and the next gen. A huge thank you to Nikkei for sharing her story with us today. If you've enjoyed our conversation, please remember to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time.